uh, value for your time. Come out tonight and help pray for the next generation. There's no agenda. We pray. We begin at 5.30. We're on our way by 6.30. Next week, the choir will be sharing their end-of-the-year program, first service only. And I know some of you are, are big fans of the choir. All of us are big fans of the choir, I should say. And I know you'll, some of you will want to hear this program, and you will want to attend first service and then come to second service next week. On May 19, I said earlier, rollout Sunday. Uh, again, love to see as many people as possible in the pews on May 19. And then we have our one service Sunday on May 26, 9.30 a.m. No programming at 8.15, no programming at 11.00. Remembrance Sunday, Kent will be reading the names of loved ones lost. I want to let you know about an event that took place at our elders meeting this Wednesday night. The Children's Ministry Council, which has been meeting for uh, well over four months, presented a very in-depth report to the elders and the staff of First Christian Church. And the Children's Ministry Council is made up of Rennie Kluver and Janelle Carr and Melinda Heinlein, Trisha Bostick, Beth Wickenhauser, and Michelle Witzke. Are any of you here, anybody on the Children's Ministry Council, will you stand right now, please? No, Janelle is here, I see her. I think Michelle is here. If anybody else, Trisha's here. Give them a hand, will you please? Give them a hand. They, they have worked incredibly hard helping us assess the state of our children's ministry. And the report was um, just hours upon hours of work put into print form shared with the elders and the staff, and I'm excited to be able to share some of that information with you in the weeks that follow. I think some exciting events are going to unfold as a result of that, but I'm just very thankful for this group and for the future of First Christian Church, and look for more information in the weeks ahead, but I can't say enough about this group of six individuals and the excellent, excellent work that they have done. We are um, wrapping up are not a fan series. This week and next week is all we have. And many of you have bought the book. Some of you still want to buy the book. We're buying more books this week. If you don't have a copy of this, strongly recommend that you buy it. We're selling it for our cost, $8 a book. Um, th this book has really been helpful for me personally, and I know for many of you, as we try to figure out what is the difference between a fan or a follower of Jesus Christ. And we started on Easter, March 31st, and we saw the story of Nicodemus. And he had this incredible transformation from fan to forsake it all for the sake of the call, follower of Jesus Christ. On, on April 7, the message was DTR, determine or define the relationship. Why are you here? Are you all in? Do you own it? April 14, the message was entitled, The Open Invitation. The big idea is that anyone is welcome. There's no qualifications to be a follower of Christ. But because there's no qualifications, there's also no excuses. Whatever excuse you have, it doesn't hold water. And it's anyone, but it's everything. Two weeks ago, we talked about the difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. And my fear I shared with you two weeks ago is a lot of people wearing that label Christian know about Jesus. I'm afraid they might not know Jesus. And it would be tragic if you lived your life and all you ever got to was knowing about Jesus. And you never really knew him. You never really knew what, what being a Christ follower was all about. La last week, great message by my friend Jeff Mayfield from Taylorville, Illinois, The Comfortable Cross. And I love Jeff's kind of bringing it all together point, the bottom line we call that. What God did for the cross, the cross was an instrument of death. What God did for the cross, he can and will 
do for you as well. Only God can transform an instrument of cross, uh, an instrument of death to cross, and bring salvation into the mix. And God can do the same thing for you. Our jumping off verse up to this point every week has been Luke 9.23. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And today, part six, I've entitled it the rule book. That's the message. Because I think many Christians look at the Christian life as nothing more than keeping rules. And more than likely, at some point in your life, maybe that point is today, you have defined being a Christian as keeping certain rules. So get out your little sermon outline here, and on the front page, I've given you three blanks, and you can do this individually, you can do it with the people that are sitting next to you, but I want you to come up with at least three rules that some people would say are essential to living the Christian life go. And it's okay to talk out loud. Be nervous. It's okay. Go ahead. Talk. Do it. What rules are out there? I'll tell you, both services have been so polite during this time. I just expected lots of talking and interaction, and, you know, we've got our ladies' tea voices going on. So, what do we have here? What rules are out there? Somebody give me a rule. What's that? Go to church is a rule. Somebody give me a rule. Don't sin. Okay, that's a good rule. I, say it again. Spread the gospel. Pray every day. Back row people, anybody? You didn't think I was making my way back to you, Veronica? Don't talk in church. And it's funny, when I give them permission to talk, they don't talk. I don't know what's going on. Okay. Anybody else? Rules? What's that? Okay. Somebody else? No cussing. That's right. No cussing. Let me give you some of the rules I came up with here. In, in my uh, maybe teenage years, maybe my grade school years, next slide, Dana, look at this. This is what I came up with. I would say at one point in my life, I thought that you had to dress religiously in order to really be in good standing. And what's that mean, to dress religiously? I guess it means maybe to wear a tie. I guess it means to have a suit on. If you're a lady, you wear a dress. Speak the language. Have you ever been around people and they're just kind of talking and everything is normal and all of a sudden they go into religious speak? That happens to me all the time when I'm in meetings with other ministers. And I'm not throwing stones at anybody, but we'll be talking about the Cubs or we'll be talking about the community and then something religious will come upon the agenda item. And people just kind of talk differently in many ways. And I'm not sure why that is. But that's the rule that some people have. Money, 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 money. You can't be serious about your faith unless you're getting in the wallet and dropping some dollar or some check or some coin into the offering slot. What about the do nots? How many of you would say that at some point in your life you define the rules of being a Christian with a whole bunch of do nots? Do not smoke, drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls who do. We've all heard that before, right? Right? That's a rule that's out there. The, the be a good person. I can't tell you the number of times that I walked away from something religious, and the big idea that I took from that is I need to be a good person. You know, the Bible doesn't really talk about being a good person. You should be a good person. Don't be a bad person. Don't be an evil person. But the Bible doesn't really get into be. It's not about being good. But that's a rule that a lot of people have. I think at one point in my Christian heritage, I would have said that one of the rules of the Christian faith is to do something, Christian service, ministry of some sort. Now let me ask you, is that a bad list? 
I wouldn't say that's a bad list, really. But if you think that the way you dress or, or the way that you speak, you speak religiously, or the money that you give or the, the things you don't do, or you're a really good person or, or you did some service, if you think that that's what being a follower of Christ is all about, you're, you're playing the rule book game. And many Christians today are playing the rule book game. The problem with the rule book game is it's a never-ending exercise. You'll never get where you want to go. I brought a baseball bat with me today, and no, we're not going to play baseball today, but it reminded me of a story, this whole rule book thing from 1984. In 1984, I had just turned 15 years old when George Brett of the Kansas City Royals came up to bat in the ninth inning at Yankee Stadium, and he hit what he thought was a two-run home run that would be a game-winning home run. And he rounded the bases, and the Royals are celebrating, and Billy Martin, manager for the New York Yankees, came out and grabbed Brett's bat before Brett and the Bat Boy could get the bat, and he went to the umpires, and he started showing the bat to the umpires. How many of you remember this account? Some of you will remember this. And before long, big drink of water umpire, Tim McClellan, holding the bat, pointed to Brett in the dugout, and he said, you are out. And George Brett had like that serial killer look on his face and he came flying out of the dugout and you had this big confrontation. Anybody remember why he was declared out? Pine tar. See, you can put pine tar on your bat, but the rule book of Major League Baseball, let me tell you, it's quite a rule book, says you can only put it 18 inches. And anything above 18 inches is considered an illegal bat. And if you get a hit with an illegal bat and they know it's an illegal bat, you are out. Now, the rest of the story has nothing to do with this sermon, but I know you're dying to know what happened, so I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. The, the league office got involved, and they said, that's silly. That's legalism. And they overruled the umpires, and they allowed the home run, and they resumed the game, and the Royals won, and the Yankees lost, and that's, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. But the point is this. Many Christians, I'm afraid, are trying to live their life to the letter of the rule book. And when we see something like that baseball illustration, we say, well, that's just silly. And I wonder, is the same thing playing out in your life or in my life? Are we meeting ourselves coming and going, trying to keep the rules, and we've missed what being a Christian is all about? Gandhi has this quote about Christianity. It's hard for me to, to read it. I want to share it with you. Gandhi is quoted as saying, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And I think when we engage in that keeping the rule book mentality, maybe, just maybe, that can come true at times. And to a world that's watching, to people all around us, we look like nothing more than a bunch of hypocrites that aren't doing a very good job of keeping the rules of our faith and our life. And that's tragic. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus has a sermon that's entitled The Seven Woes. That's, that's the title of the sermon. So you know right away that, uh, that, that it's going to be a powerful sermon. And he is addressing people who, at that time, I would say, defined faith as following a rule book. And two of the primary groups of people that he's speaking to are the Sadducees and the Pharisees, or the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were a very conservative group of intellectuals. 
They worked hard. They knew the law. They knew the Hebrew Scriptures. Many of them had been desiring to be a Pharisee from the time that they were a child. And their goal in life was to know as much about the law as they possibly could. And I would say that's a good uh, option for them. It's awesome that they wanted to know a lot about God's Word. It's awesome that they were highly intellectual. The Sadducees were very different from that. The Sadducees were a very liberal group, but it didn't have anything to do with how much you knew if you were a Sadducee. You were either born into the group or you were not. It's all about birthright. And as a result of that, many Sadducees, I believe, were like some Christians today. Their faith was something that they were born into. They had inherited their faith. And so it really wasn't a big deal to them. They had inherited their faith. It wasn't a big deal. The Pharisees also, I believe, were very much like some Christians today. Their idea of keeping the faith is knowing the rules of religion and working hard. And so that if somebody breaks a rule, they're right there quoting chapter and verse, you are a rule breaker. Jesus didn't have a lot of encouragement for the Pharisees and the Sadducees here in Matthew chapter 23. And I want to just give you just a little taste. You ought to read the, the chapter in its entirety. But here's a taste of what Jesus had to say to the rule book crowd. Number one, he says, everything they do is done for men to see. That's not a positive. He says, woe to you, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. That must have made them want to cuss, even though you don't cuss in church. They probably wanted to cuss because they're saying, what do you mean we shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces? We're opening the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said, no, your rule book approach to the faith is shutting the door in people's faces. He said in verse 23, you give a tenth of your spices, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Jesus said you're so legalistic when it comes to your giving. You even measure out your spices. You want to give a 10% uh, tithe of each spice. But you've missed what matters most. You don't care about justice. You don't care about mercy. You don't care about faithfulness. Jesus said the rule book way of life is not working for you. And then finally, maybe most damning, he says, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy. And I have to just confess to you that this verse right here has been swimming in my mind the last couple days, and I have been praying that that is a verse that doesn't speak about your life or my life. As followers of Christ. I hope that when people see you and people see me, they don't see people that are nothing more than a bunch of hypocrites. But see, here's the catch. It's probably not at 11 o'clock on Sunday that that charge might be leveled. But I think it might be when you're at that restaurant and that waiter or waitress is just, man, they're having trouble. And it's just disastrous times and you're tired and you just want your food and you want to go home. And how you engage that person probably tells them a lot about the type of Christian that you are. Or this one's kind of hard for me. You're at the basketball game, and the referee, the guy in the stripes, makes a bad call. How, how do you react? Or you're hanging out with other Christians, and something happens that you disagree with. How's that conversation unfold? Do you address them in love? Do you have a kingdom perspective? 
Or do you pound the table and let them know how you really feel? I pray that the rule book approach to Christianity has not invaded your heart and my heart. And so I need to get after it. This morning's message is really simple. I want to share with you four problems that I see with the rule book approach to Christianity. And number one is this, rules can weigh us down. Rules can weigh us down. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said in verse 4, they tie up heavy loads and they put them on men's shoulders. And if you're trying to live the faith, live the Christian faith by a bunch of rules, you are going to feel weighed down. You're going to feel like you're never going to get there. I've been in Rotary for about five, five and a half, six years, and we've got all kinds of rules. You can't say Mr. or Mrs. Heap or, or whatever it may be. You've got to call somebody by their first name. And if you break that rule, you pay a dollar. You can't mention the place that you work. And if you mention the place that you work, you pay a dollar. Guess what? I learned those rules real quickly the first couple months that I was in Rotary. And that's fun. It's one hour a week, but... A lot of Christians are trying to live their life like that. Keep a rule. Keep a rule. Keep a rule. I'm in a YMCA fitness class called Body Pump. And the hardest segment for many people is is the squats. Because you put the heaviest weight of the class on your shoulders. And for what seems like 60 minutes, it's really only about 5 minutes, but you just do squats, squats, squats. And after a while, not only are your legs hurting... But your shoulders and your neck are hurting because that weight is just just holding you down. And my favorite part of the class is when I get to take those weights off and put them on the floor. Because the weight has been lifted. Rules can weigh us down. Number two, rules can drive us to major in the minors. They can drive us to major in the minors. In Matthew chapter 12... If you open it in your Bible, you will see that the heading says the Lord of the Sabbath. And the story behind it is Jesus and his disciples are walking in the field, and they're hungry, and they pick some of the grain, and they eat. That sounds like a good thing to do. You're hungry, it's time to eat. But, oh, by the way, they did it on the Sabbath, and you can't pick grain on the Sabbath. And so here comes our friends, the legalists, and they say, you are Sabbath violators. So a little bit later, Jesus sees a guy with a shriveled hand, and he says, I'm going to really teach him a lesson now. He heals the shriveled hand, it's well, and guess what they say? Sabbath violator. Nice miracle and all, but you did it on the Sabbath. You should have waited and come back the next day. And right there, by their own words, they expose their hypocrisy. They're majoring in the minors. Do you find yourself majoring in the minors? I'll never forget, first, second year in ministry, half hour before church is going to start, my week, Illinois, I walk in with a coffee cup that has coffee in it. I don't think anything about it. I'm on my way. I'm out. The next morning, two wonderful Christian ladies, I'm convinced they're going to go to heaven. They know Jesus. They came in my office and strongly rebuked me for breaking the no beverage rule in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning. I, I couldn't believe it. Majoring in the minors. If you're driven by the rule book, you're going to always find yourself worried about things that probably really don't matter. Number three, rules do not inspire grace. Rules do not inspire grace. When I first uh, married Marla, May of 1992, um, if you were to ask me, what what are some of the rules of marriage? I I might have written down something like, love Marla without condition, provide for her at all times, be faithful to her in all circumstances. And those are good rules for your marriage. Now, I've learned some additional rules since that time, like toilet seats go down 
every time. There's never a reason to leave the toilet seat up. All the women are applauding. I've learned that my wife looks awesome whatever she's wearing. There's never something that doesn't look good, even math club t-shirts. And I've learned that, yes, our house is a museum, especially when guests are coming by to visit. So we need to clean it like it's a museum. Now, um, that, that's supposed to be fun. You know, we all have our little rules that, that we play out in our life. But if I were to really talk about the rules of marriage, I, I think I would say something along the lines of, love my wife unconditionally and learn to go with the flow. Learn to be flexible. Blessed are the flexible. They don't get bent out of shape. I, I can't put on that screen all the rules that I have learned or you have learned in your marriages through time because it's a relationship. And you've got to be flexible. And there's times that you're at your best that your spouse isn't. And there's times your spouse is down and you, you better be an encouragement to them. If you would have told me 21 years ago that every Friday morning I would sweep the carpets, whoa, I about fell there, and uh, fold towels and, and do housework, I'd have laughed at you. I'm the man. Are you kidding me? But you learn that over time the rule book just doesn't work. Rules don't inspire grace. In John chapter 8, we, we studied this back in late January, Jesus finds this woman that's been caught in adultery. And the, the leaders of the law, the, the legalists, the rule book people, they want to stone her to death because in the law of Moses it says, you find an adulteress, her and the man are to be brought to the city gates and you're to stone them to death. And, and you know this, we, we've studied this. Jesus said, you who is without sin, you throw the first stone. And no one jumped up because they're all sinners. And one by one, beginning with the oldest, they filed out and Jesus said, okay, they're all done. Get back to your life of adultery. No, he didn't say that. What did he say? Go and leave your life of sin. Sin no more. I'm glad Jesus didn't have a rule book approach to the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. And I'm glad Jesus didn't have a rule book approach to you or to me. Rules don't inspire grace. And then finally, number four, rules will not keep us engaged and transform. See, I believe that there's a point where you will break if you try to be a rule book Christian. I was thinking a lot about it this week, preparing this message, and I wonder if that's why many of our 18 and 19 and 20 and 21-year-old students who seem to be really engaged in the faith kind of seem to fall away during the college years. Could it be that, that we have made Christianity this, this cumbersome rule book and they get out in the world, they get away from mom and dad, and they've got a choice to make, and the rule book of the world seems a lot more enticing than the rule book of the faith. And so if I were to give you a rule book, if you're a 19-year-old, or a 29-year-old, or a 79-year-old, or someone of any age that wants to be a follower instead of a fan, I think I might turn to the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 12, where he said, What's most important? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with the mind and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love God without condition. Love God unconditionally. Make that the most important relationship in your life. 
And oh, by the way, love your neighbor with passion and with priority and with purpose. And if you leave here today and you decide that that's going to be your rule book, you're going to love God unconditionally, and you're going to love people with passion and priority, I think all the other things that fester and bother us and kind of bubble up, I think they'll sort themselves out. And I think if you're a person that says, I'm all in for loving God unconditionally and loving my neighbor as myself, loving my neighbor with passion and priority, I think we're going to hear comments like this, wow, look at her. Her life is really distinctive. Wow, look at him. He's really declarative in the way that he lives his life. Love God unconditionally. Love others like yourself. That's a pretty good place to start. Just to review, rules can weigh us down. Rules can drive us to major in the minors. Rules do not inspire grace. And rules will not keep us engaged and transformed. And so we're almost done with this series fan or follower. Come back next week for one final message. But my bottom line for you today is this rules or relationship. You have to decide. Let's pray. God, thanks for today and your word. And thank you that even in Matthew 23, in this just incredible rebuke, this this harsh condemnation of rule book people, even within there, I'm reminded of how you want me to live my life, how you want us to live our lives as we strive to follow after you with passion, with purpose, with priority. God, I thank you so much for Jesus, your son, and all that he did for me. I thank you for the chance this morning before communion just to sit and just to contemplate how miserably short we miss how much we fall short of your glory. And yet because of grace, forgiveness is ours. Because of the cross, hope is realized. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus, your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. It's uh, invitation time, commitment time, as it is every Sunday here at First Christian Church. And if you have a decision to make for Jesus, I, I invite you to come forward this morning. If, uh, if you want to know more about it and you want to come forward during this song, I'd love to have an opportunity to visit with you afterward later this week. Maybe you're in need of prayer. Maybe, maybe something you heard today or a song that was sung or a prayer that was prayed kind of struck a chord with you and, and, and you need prayer. Our youth minister, Adam Brucker, is going to be in the back. I'm going to be up front. And we'd love to have the opportunity to pray with you as we stand and the worship team leads us in our song of commitment. Giving you my heart and all that is within Lay it all down for the sake of you, my King Giving you my dreams Laying down my right
thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Let me uh, close our service with a word of prayer. Father, we give you thanks and praise for this, uh, for this day, that God, that we have to come to worship you. Father, would you help us to keep our mind and our priorities not on rules, but just on loving you and loving our neighbors. Father, we ask, God, that you would just move powerfully in our hearts and our minds, God, this week to keep you the priority to keep you the focus. Father, we love you. And we pray that may we may just leave blessed today, God, hearing your word and living it out. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Have a great